What's going on, guys? It's Yahavi David Sinclair Speaks, and you are now tuned in to the Sinclair Speaks show. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast on platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything that you need in a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app and start your journey today. It's that time. What's going on, guys? It's your hobby, David. St. Clair Speaks. You are now tuned in to the St. Clair Speaks Show. You are now tuned in to the St. Clair Speaks Show. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the St. Clair Speaks Show podcast. I'm your host, Yahavi St. Clair. Now, guys, we are sitting here with an impactful, incredible guest, a guest who is changing lives of the next generation. Timmy Bauer, kid author, he is writing books that is changing lives through writing and telling stories. The key of imagination and telling stories, guys, it's rippling, it's, it's life-changing. We all have you know, these children's books that we remember, whether it's Dr. Seuss, Cat in the Hat, The Magic School Bus. I am really excited to dive into, you know, just Timmy's passion for writing. How did he get on this path today? And of course, what brings him on to the podcast? So without further ado, Timmy, I want to welcome you on the Sinclair Speaks Your Podcast, my friend. And again, uh, congratulations on recently getting married. Love always wins. Welcome to the podcast. If you can, please tell our, tell our listeners at least, you know, five minutes, you know, about yourself, your brand, your business, and uh, let's go from there. Thanks, Yahavi. Sure thing. Thanks so much for having me on your show. So uh, yeah, listeners, I am a kid's book author. Um, I started uh, when I was 17 years old. So I was 17 years old and my little brother was four. And uh, I was just looking for a way to connect with him because uh, there's a huge age gap there. That's like nine years. And so um, I had just gotten done reading a book by Dr. Seuss called Yertle the Turtle. I don't know if you've ever heard of Yertle the Turtle, but uh, it's a really interesting Dr. Seuss book. Uh, that's meant to be a parody of Hitler. Like the main character Yertle is a, is a parody of Hitler. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, that has nothing to do with the story. It's just a really interesting side note. <laughs> um, so anyways, I just gotten done reading Yertle the Turtle and I was like, I think I could probably do this. So I started writing a book called Billy the Dragon uh, and started reading it to my little brother. And my goal was every night before bed, I wanted to try to either make him laugh scare him, gross him out, or cause some kind of big reaction in him from what I was writing. And that eventually went on to become like my writing process. But over, over, you know, however many nights it was me writing this story, I started really to like create a really awesome relationship with my little brother over this project that I was working on. And um, I went on to publish the book. I just self-published it. I like straight up went online, found a printing company, spent $5,000 to get a whole bunch of copies of Billy the Dragon, and then literally started knocking on elementary school doors. Like, like literally knocking on the door being saying, Hey, I'm, I'm an author. This is my kid's book, Billy the Dragon. I'd like to read it for your kids. And about half the time, the teacher would be like weirded out by me. Like who's this strange man that wants to come to our elementary school and read to the kids. Um, and then the other half of the time they would be on board. They'd be like, oh, let me see that. And they'd open it and they'd be like, yeah, absolutely. Please come read this to our kids. And when I would go and read it for, the, for those groups, uh, anytime there was like photo or videos being taken, that would get shared in teacher chats and teacher Facebook groups. 
and the uh, teachers from other schools, even some of the ones that had initially rejected me would be like, Hey, Oh my gosh, how did you get this author? We need to come have him at our school. And so I learned that my, the way for me to build up a, a brand around being a kid's book author and speaking at schools was to try to generate as much FOMO as I possibly could, uh, among schools that would hear about me. And so that became my, my, my goal. Do, did you want to cut in? Yeah, sorry. It's like, oh, yeah, I want to cut in, man. That is, that is a really interesting hack strategy. I love First off, you're an authorpreneur. I love how, you know, you created a book, you designed a concept, you invested in it. Then you went literally, as you said, word for word, like knocking on these schools door, like, Hey, let me in. I have a story. Let's talk about it. Then, you know, literally by you just taking that action, everyone else is like, damn, we're missing out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was growing in number of schools that I could visit, but I was still really struggling with the question of how do I make money off of these books? Um, what was a huge success was that kids, that kids that were just hearing about me for the first time and listening to me read this book were laughing or getting grossed out or getting scared at all the parts that I was trying to make Kristen, my little brother, laugh, get grossed out, get scared. And so it was causing the big reactions in these groups of kids that it was causing for my little brother. So it, there's no greater feeling as a kid's book author than going to an elementary school and reading a, a joke in your book. And then just you're just seeing like a sea of seven, eight, nine year olds rolling on the floor laughing. That's huge. Or if you say something gross in your book and they're all like, um, it's amazing. And what I've what I, my theory was and what turned out to be true was that the way you get a kid to just remember a kid's book and want to read it again and again and again is if on every beat of the story or every page of the book, there's a big reaction that's being caused in the kid. This is something that a lot of parents get wrong when they go to make a kid's book. Every parent's agenda when they make a kid's book or adults, sorry, any adult, any adult's agenda for the most part when they go to make a kid's book is that they, they have an idea that they want to communicate to a kid. Oftentimes it's preachy. Oftentimes it is, here's what I want you to think about kid. Here's what I want you to do. Um, here's, here's what's right and wrong, like that kind of stuff. And it's not a wrong agenda to have. It's just not why a kid wants to read a kid's book. So when you make a kid's book and that's your agenda, you're going to make a kid's book that gets tossed to the side, if it even gets read at all. The reason a kid goes to the book's uh, shelf to grab a kid's book is that for one reason only, and that's that they want to be thoroughly entertained. They want to laugh, get grossed out, be like, oh my gosh, it's adorable. Like, like uh, that kind of stuff. And, and whenever I mention like, uh, okay, I, I'm kind of all over the place here, but there's this philosophy of writing kids books that my company has that is um, the reaction trigger philosophy that you want to cause, you want to have reaction triggers peppered all throughout your book to cause big reactions in kids. Um, cute is one of them, like getting a kid to be overwhelmed with cuteness is one of them, but it's not cute the way that like adults think about cute. Like when adults think about cute, we think of like precious moments, like, oh, that's so cute. That's not what a kid wants. When I, when I say cute to a kid, I'm talking about that part in, um, in Despicable Me where the little girl's like, he's so flippy, I want to die. Like that kind of stuff. I want to, I have this question for you and I like, I'm really like, I want to know like from what you're doing is great. 
how are you keeping these kids entertained from the virtual side? Because like the last year, right, you know, we've all been in quarantine. How has that transition been for you? Like, yeah, I found more ways to be creative. It's the it's the reason I started my company because it killed my income. So I, I was touring the U.S. as a kids book author. I'd, ha- I'd had the biggest month I'd ever had in my life where I did uh, 20,000 in sales uh, in a single month. And, um, and then just like right after that, that was November 2019. So and I booked another tour in another state and then COVID hit and I had to cancel that tour and go home. And um, so my money was all, all the ways that I had planned on making money that year were gone. And um, I went back to my old job, uh, which was uh, Sweetfish Media, Media, a podcast agency. And I was like, hey, you guys looking for a writer? And my buddy James was like, always. So I started working for them again as a writer. And while I was there, I was just like, man, I've got to figure out how to make money as a kid's book author again. So I'm hanging out with my buddy James. And there's this book that uh, a sales leader named John Barrows had written a kid's book called I Want to Be in Sales When I Grow Up. And I'm, I'm looking at this book and John Barrows, he's known for a lot of things, but one of the things that he is known for is being the guy that wrote the kid's book on sales. And I was like, oh, there. And then I, I went to see like, is there a company that th- this is what they do? And I didn't find one. I was like, oh, th- first of all, there needs to be a, the guy who wrote the kid's book on such and such for every industry. So that's, that's one thing. Like immediately this guy's known as the guy who wrote the kid's book on sales. Uh, there needs to be that for everything. Um, so that was one aha moment. And then the other thing, there's no company that's doing this. Okay, well, I'll, I'm going to create the company that's doing this. So, um, so I started a company called Dinosaur House. Our, our thing is we turn industry leaders into kid's book authors. And I will go to somebody like um, I have a customer who's a B2B marketer and we're working on the book. I want to be in marketing when I grow up. And the goal is how can we make a book that's really about this, this, um, this job function, this field of expertise uh, or this topic and make it so that, so he's a, he's, he's an industry leader in the making in the field of marketing. So his customers of this book are, parents that are marketers this needs to be their favorite thing to read to their kids and it needs to be more important than that it needs to be the kids favorite thing to be read so so my goal is i want to make this book so that it's so addictive that kids are asking their marketing parents every night to read that book and it's going to create this deep bond similar to the one i had with my little brother tristan over what that adult does for a living that is a huge thing to be able to give to your audience if you're an industry leader. Man, you're, you're like, as you're talking, my mind is literally racing because from the parent perspective, when I'm reading to my daughter, like, I, like I'm always reading The Pout Pout Fish. And I love that book. The Pout Pout Fish with the Pout Pout Face. Spreads his very dairies all over the place. <laughs> I love these books that have such a story and, 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 and they rhyme and, and all these, you know, different concepts. So from the writing standpoint, what's the message in these stories? You know, I mean, you talk about cuteness. Is there, you know, these life lessons that you put in these books as well? Like these little things of, hey, don't do that. Are you teaching like karma, for example? Let's use karma. Like John pushed Mary down on the floor. Then two pages later, John tripped and fell himself. 
karma right so like, <laughs> that would be that would be a funny book uh so uh, one thing that in the in the kids book writing space there's a word called didactic so you never want your kids books to be didactic um in fact publishers will reject manuscripts that are didactic and what it means is it, it's when something was clearly designed to teach a lesson so if, a, if your manuscript is comes off as clearly designed to teach a lesson, and that's the purpose that it was written with, uh, publishers are going to reject it. For the most part, your, your audience is going to reject it. Kids don't want to read it. Um, and so, uh, but, but my customers of Dinosaur House, it's oftentimes it's the reason they want to work with me is because they have some message that they want to share and they want a kid's book to, to be the vehicle of that message. So I was just having a conversation with a writer this morning, like, our, our whole thing is that we make really effing good didactic kids books. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the way, the way to do that is, is truly to not make them feel didactic. It needs to feel like the idea was not being preached at the kid. It was incepted in such a way that the kid is feeling like it, it was their idea. Like when Lucas, the dinosaur entrepreneur, which is like my flagship kids book. It's what, if I were a customer of my business, this is the book that we would make. Um, the whole goal was I want to teach kids principles of entrepreneurship. So for the first book is what does monetize mean? And when I go to perform it for kids at schools, I say, um, the book is called, what does monetize mean? I'm never, the book never tells you what the word means. So when I get finished reading the book, I want to see if you can guess from the story, what the word monetize means. And the story is about a dinosaur named Lucas who wants to make some money and he goes to his dad and his dad's like, get a job. And he's like, but I'm seven. And then he, he goes to his Gary V. Velociraptor toy and shakes it. And it's like, how do I make money? And it's like, figure out what you already love to do or what you already know how to do and monetize it. So he makes two lists. He makes a list of everything he already has to do every day and all the things that he loves to do. And then he's like, okay, how could I make money doing one of these things? And he figures out one of the things that he already does every day that he doesn't hate to do is play outside. So he's like, how could I make money playing outside? So he goes to his neighbor, rings her doorbell and is like, Mrs. Spinosaurus, your dog Toby is overweight. Look at his flabby arms. Look at his giant belly. He could have a heart attack any minute. And she's like, what do you suggest? And he's like, I play outside every day from five to seven. I could take Toby and give him plenty of exercise for say $10 a week. And then the last shot is he's running with this uh, dog character, Toby. And he's like, yes, Toby, we monetized. And then, and then the story ends with me just asking the readers, you know, what does monetize mean based on the story? And it's awesome to have these conversations about what it means to take something that you already know how to do, already have to do, already love to do, and figure out how to make money doing that thing. Well, what I'm trying to do there is I'm trying to incept the idea of entrepreneurship into the kids. I want them, I want to just be sparking ideas in their head, get them thinking about something they've never thought about before, like monetizing their time, doing something that they already love to do. Get them. They've never thought about that before. Get them thinking about it you and then potentially that, sorry, spark some me. ideas. You got yeah. that engaging education thing going on right now. Like it's really engaging education and you, you're a seed planter is what you're doing. I know what you're doing. You're, you're literally planting seeds in these kids and you're, you're planting these entrepreneurial seeds in them. It's in subconsciously you're hacking their minds through these, these stories. I, I really love it. So I want to know, like, what are the parents saying to you? Like, what, what are the parents saying you side uh, the sideline? What are they saying? 
Yeah. Um, I like to take funny quotes and stick them on the backs of my books. Uh, on the back of Lucas the Dinosaur, uh, there's a quote that just says, you literally just taught my kid how to make money, <laughs> which is awesome. Like, what an incredible feeling to feel like I'm teaching kids. I'm teaching kids how they can monetize their own time. Uh, or or uh, in the case of I want to be a marketer when I grow up, I'm teaching kids how to use that. The premise of that book is the main character, his head is full of pixie dust three different kinds of pixie dust, pink pixie dust, which is psychology, green pixie dust for strategy and yellow pixie dust for creativity. And when he sees an idea that he wants to fly, he can whack his head against it and out comes this pixie dust and he's able to come up with ideas to help this thing that he wants to, to work fly. So the, there'll be examples in the story where he's got a friend who um, is trying to sell lemonade and he whacks his head against her like ugly beat down lemonade stand and they come up with how to appeal to the customers. Um, there's one where like uh, he's trying to figure, he's trying to help a friend figure out how to sell Girl Scout cookies. And he's like, Oh, if we go, if we just go where people are that want to buy cookies, you're going to have an easier time selling these cookies. What if we do something? What if we get people to do something that's going to make them want a cookie, then we'll be able to sell the cookies. So, and then as he's coming up with those ideas, there's strategy and psychology pixie dust kind of swirling in the air that's come out of his head as he's beat his head against the, this idea. The concept there that I want kids to think about is that uh, if you want an idea to work out, you have to use creativity, psychology, and strategy to come up with ways that it could work. And it's great for marketers because that's literally all they do all day long. Those are their tools in their tool belt, creativity, strategy, and, and uh, psychology. So I kind of lost the question there. (laughs) Yeah, I lost what your question was. No, you're good. So my question, my question was, what are parents saying to you, you know, about the books? Oh, that's why I told you the story. When I went, so my customer for this book is a parent. His name's Dan Sanchez. And I asked him, I was like, when you go to your kids and you talk to them about what you do for a living, how do you explain it to them? And he was like, I don't talk to my kids about what I do for a living. They're not interested. But as soon as we came up with this premise and he started sharing it with his kids, now they're eager to hear this story and to talk about what he does for a living. And how cool is that? If like your kids are regularly wanting to talk to you about what you do for a living. So, I mean, that's one like massive piece of feedback for me. That is, no, that's huge, man. You know, I mean, it, it, it's more of, you know, if you're talking to someone, especially your parents about, you know, what they do for a living, that's an engaging conversation. You're, you're, you literally get to see what life looks like if you decided to take the entrepreneurial route or the, or the corporate route. Well, the thing is, it's often not an engaging conversation for the kid. It's for the kid. It can feel incredibly boring and that's why they don't want to talk about it with their parents. And so my whole thing is like, if you want to have like a deep connection with your kids and I, I like, I have any room to speak, I'm not a parent, but I did play this out at 17 with my little brother who was four. And the, the way that we created a connection was a through making a kid's book together, but B uh, me thoroughly entering into his world and going, what does he care about? What makes him laugh? What grosses him out? What scares him? Uh, and him and me pulling him into my world and 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 talking about the things that I care about, the things that I like to do for a living, et cetera. 
I want to ask this question. I think this is a, this is a really good question. Um, not everyone, not everyone has it. Not everyone hits the, you know, of course the guidelines and, and the checklists to do what you're doing. What is the qualifications for someone to be successful in your industry as a kid book author? Because it's different. Anyone could be an author, but to be a kid book author, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a certain level of patience that you must have and, and empathy and enthusiasm. You, you got the personality, et cetera. So what are the things that someone needs in order to be successful? Yeah, it's a good question. I have uh, one major thought on that, and it's something that I stole from somebody else. So uh, there is a, a kid's, I'm blanking on his name. There's a kid's book author, really successful, uh, wrote a book called One Word from Sophia. And uh, I went to a workshop and he was speaking. And one of the things that he said that left a big impact on me was the, the best way that I know that a kid's book is going to fail is if it, and he said, and this is most of the time, is that the parent did not, after they figured out what they wanted their book to be about, they didn't. They didn't kind of put their agenda aside and thoroughly enter into the mindset of the kids that are going to be reading this book and asking questions like, what did I love when I was seven? What do seven-year-olds now love? What did I hate when I was seven? What do seven-year-olds hate now? What are they scared of? What do they, what do they have a big uh, like, oh my gosh, what kind of reaction to? Uh, what are they into? What are they envious of? All of those kinds of things. If you don't do that, you end up writing something where you're talking down to kids instead of talking to them at their, like, with, like you're with them. Uh, and so that's been the basis of the whole system with which I write at Dinosaur House, which is we want to pack every beat of the story with things that we know are going to cause big reactions kids because we have put ourselves in that mindset. And, and the, the other thing that I would say is just, I think something that I've benefited from, which is I, I felt, I feel like I've never grown out of second grade. Like I feel, I still, I still think all the same stuff is funny that I thought was funny when I was in second grade. I still love to watch the same cartoons that I watched when I was in second grade. And so I still have the same sense of humor that I had back then. So I think that just helps a little bit. That is beautiful, man. I, you got me like really thinking about the kid in me, man. I'm a nineties baby. I'm like, man, when I was seven. Oh yeah. Oh man. There was, I, I plan, I plan to make a kid's book called when I was a kid in the nineties. And so once again, it's like, what's the parent's agenda? What's the kid's agenda? I want to cause a connection between parents and their kids. So going just a book that's just page after page of like what it was like to be a kid in the nineties written in a way that's going to cause massive nostalgia in the parent that's reading it, but also make the kid that's being read to laugh and be like, that's so weird. Like that kind of stuff. Daddy, what was a Walkman? Like, exactly. We had to, we had to rewind the tape on the movies that we wanted to watch. <laughs> what is VHS? Oh my God. That is such, yo, I, when you do that, I need a copy of that, that you got me, you got me cheesing and, and, and tearing up because like being a parent, it's like being a kid all over again. So I'm having so much fun watching all these Disney movies. I just watched Ray of the last dragon yeah. the other day. And I must say, man, Disney is doing it big. They are yeah. doing it big for, um, with the movies and the storytelling. So I wanted to ask you, 
in the next five to 10 years, where do you see some of these books? Do you see these turning into like a short film? Do you see yourself like dabbling a little bit more in the animation space? Where do you see yourself in the next five to 10 years, um, you know, be, being yeah. a kid book author and killing it? When right I now? was a, when I was a kid, I thought that I wanted to grow up and work at an animation company. I was like, yeah, I want to work in the animation department at Disney or, you know, Pixar or wherever DreamWorks. Uh, Ardman. Um, and what I've realized as an adult, especially as an entrepreneur that's been able to build a business, uh, oh, I don't have to work at the animation company. I can create the animation company. I can just, I can literally get customers that want animated versions of their kids' book, go find the talent and create the animation company. I could do that. I've had a couple of customers that were interested in animation. Well, most people don't realize how expensive it is. Um, but, uh, it is a fun challenge for me to take something that's expensive and go, okay, how could this be done in a way that's less expensive? Um, but, uh, uh, I, so as far as animation goes, I definitely see, uh, like anything's possible. I, my, my mission statement is I'm trying to connect parents deeply with their kids over stories that kids love that talk about things that parents want them to talk about. So and that's really wordy and I got to figure out a way to shorten it, but uh, anything is possible within that realm. So whether, whether I'm in, involved in making movies, I mean, awesome. I also just want to do volume. I want to do a, a huge number of these kinds of stories. Uh, so kids books are great because it's a pretty short timeline to go from start to finish creating a kid's book versus something like a movie. I don't know if that really answers your question. No, you know, you know what does. My thing is, my thing is, okay, you know, you have a kid. These kids, you know, freaking iPads these days. You know, literally taking the iPad away from them, giving them a book, and making that book just as entertaining as the iPad. I think that's powerful because there's a lot of you know YouTube kids. There's Blippy, and there's there's all these yeah other new characters going on like back in our day there was blues clues there was barney yep. and um you know it was very selective now we there's so much different i don't say just options but there's a lot of distractions right so from that point of just really making it a book that someone will remember for the rest of their life like oh i remember when timmy used to read us this book back in the day that's how kids are going to remember you right like which like, is crazy think, to think about is, like it's not going to be too long before there are adults that one of my kids book was their favorite book as a kid, which is incredible to think about. So that, I, that's like a high honor. My, my question, my question for you is like, okay, so you have a group of, this is literally how I envision it, right? You're reading in front of like 25, 25 students, 25 kids in front of you. When you're reading this book, you're engaging. Do you get the sense or, or feeling that one or maybe more, I mean, let's say maybe three out of the 25 kids want to do what you're doing right now like do you feel that do you get that vibe or, or like almost you know like if kid, you're, yeah yeah almost almost every kid wants to do this kind of work when they're a kid at some point in their childhood so um so i do a, a fun thing activity with kids when i go and perform for them uh we do uh the kid the author timmy challenge author timmy kids book challenge uh, take a piece of paper, regular old piece of paper, fold it in half twice. We all do it together. So we all take a regular piece of paper, fold it in half twice, staple uh, a spine and cut off the top so that it's uh, it, it becomes a four, one, two, three, four, five, six, six page uh, book. 
and um and then you can staple more together if you want more pages and then my challenge to them is can you make a a book that will make me laugh and so the kids really loved like taking up the challenge they will they will write get their they'll buddy up with somebody and one of them will write and one of them will illustrate and they'll write books with the goal of trying to make me laugh and it's really really awesome i i haven't been thinking too far in terms of like what could this become there was a little while where i thought i wanted to do like summer camps that there's summer camps for all kinds of things but there's not one for growing up to become a story artist so uh as far as i know i haven't heard of any story artist summer camps uh so maybe i'll come back to that idea but teaching kids con the concepts and principles of being a story artist would be a really cool thing to do all right. So let's kind of like swing things back a little bit. So you're, you know, you're starting out in the writing space. What if, if you could go back in time is, were there some things that you've done to get to this path? I mean, you're successful now, but if you could change some things and tweak some things, if there's some things you could have done differently, a route you should have went, or you glad you, you did take, what are some biggest, some big takeaways from everything leading up to this point now? Hmm, that's Good question. Well, the first book I wrote took me about seven years, Billy the Dragon. I mean, I wrote it for my little brother, Tristan, and then I sat on it forever. And then I picked it up and illustrated it and trashed those illustrations and re-illustrated it and tried again and tried again. And I don't know how necessary that part of the process was. I think a lot of people that make a kid's book, that's they're telling a very similar story. But when I finally changed my mindset, to be a much more iterative kind of mindset around kids' books. I got a lot faster at producing kids' books and volume helps. I mean, having a library, like the, the feeling I want somebody to get when they come across one of my kids' books is like, oh my gosh, they just read Lucas the Dinosaur Entrepreneur and it was awesome. He's written nine other books. Like that's a, I, I want them to feel like they just stumbled across. Like it's how I felt when I came across an author called Kale Atkinson. Kale Atkinson is like, if, if I could die and be reincarnated, I would want to be reincarnated as him. Um, incredible, incredible artist. He, he totally gets uh, the humor of that age, uh, that age group. And he's like, and be like incredibly beautiful illustrations. Um, but anyway, when I came across him, I was like, Oh my gosh, this treasure trove of kids books that are amazing. Um, I'd like for people to have that feeling, but not just about me, not just about like, Oh my gosh, Timmy Bauer, but like, so Dinosaur House is a bunch of kids books with, uh, with a bunch of different authors. But the, the theme of all these kids books is they're going to talk about a cool, like a concept, but they're going to they're going to be incredible. Like every page of the story is going to make you laugh, gross you out or cause some kind of big reaction in you. Um, so uh, giving giving kids and parents the feeling like they just came across a treasure trove when they come across a a. Uh, one of one of my books. That's that's something I want people to feel. And the only way that I could getting back to your question, the only way that I could have gotten there was by adopting a different mindset around kids' books, where it's way less precious, it's way less perfectionistic. It is all right. Concept, boom. Okay, what's going to happen in this story? Okay, awesome. Now, how do I make it fun and funny on every single page? That's going to be the mission. Grammar out the window. Doesn't matter. Uh, illustrations, they don't have to be beautiful. They just have to get the point across. They have to be fun to look at and they have to, they have to deliver on the punchlines that are being told in the text. 
Uh, and when you nail those things, then you just put the book out there and you let people pick it to shreds and you just change it as they tell you what they don't like about it. And that process for making kids books is so fast. Freaking love it. So I want to ask this to me, you know, outside's opening up. I, I don't know where the coronavirus is going right now. Um, I'm just glad everyone's safe. Uh, you know, with outdoors opening up, where, where do you see everything in the next, you know, I want to say three, six months, but is, is this the time where, you know, you're, you know, you're getting back in educational space, you know, you're back in front of the students again. And if so, what are some things that we could look forward to? Is there another book coming out in, in X amount of months? Um, yeah, let us know. <laughs> yeah, I've got 20 books that are in the works right now. Wait, hold on. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. 20? Yeah, 20. No, talk about that. Don't, don't, don't be modest. Go ahead and talk about it. Well, so a lot of them are customers. So Dinosaur House, we turn industry leaders into kids book authors. So I'm pairing up with industry leaders and we're going, awesome. We're going to make a kid's book about blah, blah, blah that you're going to be the author of. It'll be produced by my company. Um, so uh, there's a lot of good ones. I'm looking at one right now on my computer. Uh, I got a style guide back from the artist called Oops, I Stepped in My Poop. And it's a kid's book about choices and outcomes. So <laughs> really compelling title for a kid. And then the tagline is really compelling for parents, uh, a kid's book about choices and outcomes. So if you just want to have conversations with your kids about choices and outcomes, this is the kid's book to read. Um, but it's going to, it's going to nail their interest right off the bat. Cause the first, it's a bunch of vignette stories and like, what do you think of that decision? What do you think the outcome is going to be? Um, and the first one is about a kid that steps in his own poop. Yo, offline. Uh, I definitely, definitely need to, uh, I need to collaborate with you in the near future for sure on, man, this is why I love podcasting, man. You, uh, to the listeners that's listening, if you're, if you're not connecting and, and you're not, you know, connecting with impactful people like Timmy, yeah, you're missing out because, you know, you're really changing the game in the industry, man. Like this is next generation. So when you're planting seeds, we all have that one teacher that we remember or that, you know, that student teacher that used to come in. Everyone has that one person they remember from their childhood. The fact that that's you for these kids is incredible to me. That is incredible. And like that is, I, I want to say, you know, too much is given, much is required, but I love the fact that, you know, you, you found that you found what you were called to do and you're very passionate about it. And, you know, you scaled from it and you're making a, a pretty good living from it. And you're teaching people how to do this at the same time. And you literally you're, you're walking and you're, you're holding our hands along the way. I definitely want to co-collaborate with you in a book. I, I was writing something back in 2018. I had this idea with this short film animation thing with animals. We'll talk about that off the record, but I've been writing. That I want to hear about it. Yeah, for quite some time. So I got the idea from my pets. So I have two cats. Well, I have two cats now. At the time, I had just a dog and a cat. My, my dog passed away at cancer last year. But um, it's initially about uh, just life lessons. And it, it's more of, it. if I would compare it to a cartoon I used to watch back in the day, very similar to Arthur. I'll just leave it as that. It's a mix of Arthur and Reading Rainbow. Uh -huh. Arthur and like a little smack in between, Arthur and Reading Rainbow. And I'll talk to you a little bit more about it offline. Okay. Still in the works. But um, for Can't me, wait. I literally needed to connect with someone like you, someone in your field that could help me get to the next step. So 
for me, this yeah. is great. Like you're, you're yeah. literally the connection I needed to make. So I'm definitely happy that we could definitely make that happen. So I definitely want to stay on course here. So LinkedIn, you know, we met, we connected through LinkedIn. So I want to know, you know, as a writer, as a storyteller, how are you getting your business out there on a platform like LinkedIn, man? Because that platform is loud, right? It's a very loud platform. It could be yeah. very loud if you don't have any strategy or structure. But how are you positioning yourself on LinkedIn to be successful? I mean, I'm going to be completely honest here. I don't have a strategy in place yet. So I'm really just posting a lot of different kinds of content, not knowing what's going to land and being surprised at what lands and what doesn't land. And then being open about that surprise. I'm like, I'm, I'll, I'll do a post where I'm like, I'm surprised that this landed the way that it did. My theory is maybe it was because blah, 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 blah. And then that post might get some engagement too. Um, but yeah, my, my post about my uh, wedding uh, for whatever reason, it makes me think that LinkedIn is starved for, you know how like every, every platform except for LinkedIn has couple influencers, like, like, like romance, like, like just a couple that is famous for being a couple. There's not one of those on LinkedIn. And so when I posted that, I was like, shoot, maybe, maybe I need to get with Nicole and be like, babe, do you want to be the couple influencers of LinkedIn? Yo, man, you know, so your, your post really went viral too. A lot of people tuned in in that. Yeah, I got like 47,000 impressions. <laughs> um, so I, I can't tell you anything about that. The other thing that I've got going for me on LinkedIn is I'm, I'm really good friends with uh, James Carberry and he's got a really, uh, he's got a really engaged audience. So, um, so I just benefit from being, being able to pick his brain about LinkedIn. He sent me a text this morning, correcting something that I put on LinkedIn. He was like, Hey man, this would sound better if you said it like this. I was like, thank you so much. And then of course, when he engages with my stuff, the way the LinkedIn algorithm works, when, when somebody engages with your content, it shows everybody else that is engaging with your content that you just engage with somebody else's content. So when, whenever he'll comment on one of my posts, a lot of times in comes the a huge army of his followers that will see my stuff, which is incredible. I'm blessed beyond belief about that. No, I don't know what the right, I don't know what the right strategy is with that. And I, social media in general, I don't know what the right strategy is for me. So I'm actually open to suggestions. Here's one thing I do know, or at least one thing I do know that I want to try, which is I want to have a big audience of engaged parents that are just getting a free kids book from me every month. So it's not like, there's no ask. It's literally, Hey, uh, dinosaur house is making a ton of books. Uh, and, and so like you're, you're probably, if you really like something, you're going to buy the physical version to read with your kids. So why not just send you the digital one? So my, my thought process is let me have a whole bunch of parents that I'm just sending digital copies of all these kids books to. And I just know that the parents that want to buy that, that really like latch onto one, they're going to go buy the physical version. So boom, there's the sales. The only suggestion I would make for you, Timmy, is you definitely need to do more of what you did today. More podcast interviews, man. Your story is incredible. What you're doing is incredible. And more people need to know about that for sure. Um, so I, I, in closing thoughts, I kind of want to summer it down. <clears throat> Excuse me. I kind of want to summer it down. Number one, I definitely need a copy of your book. I want to read. I want to read some of these books to my daughter for sure. 
because we have so much books around the house. I, I definitely need. And yeah. I need well, for one, if you if you go to monthlykidsbook.com, that's the mailing list that I just talked about. So you can just get a free copy of Lucas the Dinosaur that way. Um, but then also they're they're all on Amazon and uh, I'm happy to send you one if you just remind me. Hell yeah, I'm definitely going to remind you on that. Okay. De- <laughs> definitely going to remind you on that. Um, there was a lot that I learned in this interview today. I think one of my biggest takeaways is it is a lot, I wouldn't say a lot more cost efficient, but definitely so if you go the kid book author route versus you know just being an author because for illustration and animation, all that that you're putting in, that's a lot of money. Trying to just backtracking, you you mentioned you invested up to five grand for. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Was it five grand you mentioned? That was just to get copies printed. Insane. So yeah. what what was the initial total like in, in coming into the door investing in? Well, the benefit for me is that I am an illustrator. So uh, I illustrated Billy the Dragon, my first book, by myself, um, and I've studied. Uh, illustration my whole life so so i benefited there otherwise i would have ended up paying if i really wanted to make this thing a reality and i wanted it to be really good i probably would have paid a few thousand dollars in illustration um so so there's that uh as far as costs to me go it was sweat costs i mean i i i put the five grand in to get copies and then i just was hoofing it to elementary schools knocking on doors. Uh, once I had made, once I started making money in book sales, then um, then I was able to hire a uh, videographer to just edit video and post it to try to generate FOMO so that I could get more tours. And then I figured out, oh, content-based networking is my play for meeting the types of um, the the people that are responsible for putting on literacy events. That expand once I once I started using podcasting to talk to people that put on literacy events. Of course, when they are picking their guests for who's going to speak at their event, I'm going to be top of mind if we made content together on a podcast. So uh, that was one of the ways that I started speaking at events, and then that led to uh, doing statewide tours. I lost your question. No, you're good. You're good. You're good. So my last, my last question definitely would be um, the biggest takeaway for listeners, uh, for those that are listening to this episode right now, what do you want the listeners to take away from, you know, your your story and, and what you're doing right now? I want, I want as somebody that doesn't have a great relationship with his dad uh, and has a great relationship with my little brother, Tristan, like, who was four when I wrote the book. Um, I would love for parents to start thinking about the ways that they connect with their kids because so often the ways that you connect with your kid is very parental um, and not so buddy, buddy. Um, But when you're an adult, I I would hope, I mean, this is what I would hope uh, if I was a parent is that I would be a, a real, I have a real friendship with my adult kid. And um, I think that's massively affected by the choices that you make now uh, and how you choose to connect with your kid now. So finding really good books that connect with you. This is not meant to be a plug for Dinosaur House. I just think that you should be looking for the kinds of material that you can use to connect with your kid in a way that's going to cause a real buddy-buddy relationship with that kid that blossoms into adults who have a friendship. 
one last thing. Definitely shout yourself out. Plug. I want you to plug in all your social tags so we, we could stay updated. We could follow you on your journey. Throw out your website as well. Okay, so website is dinosaurhouse.com. Uh, on that website, there's a tab called Monthly Kids Book, or you can get to it by just typing in monthlykidsbook.com. Uh, so Monthly Kids Book is the newsletter where I'm just sending parents a free digital book every month. That's all it is. It'll have a link if you want to buy the physical one, but that's that's really... I just know that some percentage of the parents that are subscribed are going to buy. Um, most active social media for me would be LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm author Timmy on Twitter and on LinkedIn. I'm just Timmy Bauer. Awesome. Timmy Bauer, everyone. Uh, Timmy, I want to thank you again for definitely you dropped a lot of gems, man. Like I am, you got me looking at the drawing board all over again with writing, Brian, like, you you you, show, you you showed me something that um from the parent perspective I appreciate that man and for that I'm forever grateful so I want to say thank you again for you know coming on the podcast being vulnerable and and sharing your story appreciate it great Yahavi it was great to meet you thanks for having me on awesome all right guys like always I'll see you guys in the next one don't forget to like share and subscribe to the Saint Clair Speak Show podcast you are now tuned in to the Saint Clair Speak Show I'm out. Peace.